Well, let's continue to worship the Lord together with the reading of his holy word. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to join me in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, and then chapter 3. Feels like we live in a, in a world that loves an origin story. So let's read about your origin story, my origin story. Genesis 3 will explain you to you. So in verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. When they heard the Lord, the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Well, let's pray together. Now, Father, as we um, read your word, I ask for your help now by your Holy Spirit that we would understand from Genesis 3 what you would want us to know about you, about ourselves, uh, um, about life, where we really are apart from you, and also what you have done to fix everything that we broke. We ask for greater things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, of course, you may be seated. We're in a series of sermons here at the start of 2022, just simply called Essentials for the Year or Years Ahead. The more precious something is, the more likely it is to be counterfeited, right? I mean, I don't think anybody's scheming today to come up with a plan to counterfeit pennies, right? I mean, there, there would be no, uh, not a lot of profit in that. So, so the more precious, the more valuable something is, the more likely it is to be counterfeited. And what we just read in Genesis 3, 1, is that there is a spiritual enemy, a serpent, who's more crafty, maybe your translation reads more subtle, more deceitful. That's the core character trait of the spiritual enemy, craftiness. And what that means is that you will be lied to and utterly convinced that that lie is true. And that's certainly what happens here in Genesis chapter 3. So uh, an essential and, and an example that I've used just about every week is suppose that you were going to go on the Appalachian Trail for three nights. You pack in your bag. What has to come with you? 
And then there are some things that need to be left behind. I'm praying that for us as a church family in these days, we're learning here are some things that we can do without, and here are some things that we have got to grab a hold of. And, and I'm entitling this message, Believing and Trusting the Whole Gospel, because the most effective counterfeits have some of the truth in them, right? Or just enough truth for you to think, hey, this really is the truth. And there's nothing more precious than the gospel, and, and therefore I want to... Uh, us to see from Genesis 3 that the depth of the problem and then also in a corresponding way the depth of our hope in Jesus. So I want to start with this uh, point. If you've got an outline and there in your sermon uh, notes and want to follow along is, uh, is this point is that only God can show me what is really wrong with me. If you love the Bible, you'll, you'll see pretty quickly that the questions that God asks are so perceptive. I mean, to, to, to state the obvious, when God asks a question, it's important. Here's the question that he asks in Genesis 3. And I want you to think with me for a moment. On one hand, it sounds so simple, but then how profound it really is, right? Here's his question. Where are you? Where are you? He asked that to Adam and Eve there in the garden, there, right there, right? As they're hiding themselves, God says, where are you? And it's not a geographical question, right? If I were to ask you, where are you? You might say, I'm at 505 South Inglewood Drive, right? But that's not what God's asking. He's asking something much deeper. Where are you right now? A couple of weeks ago when it was freezing cold, not when it actually snowed, but when they told it was, it was going to snow and then it didn't quite snow, right? But it, that, was, that, that weekend was even colder. I went out to my truck to warm my truck up uh, before I went to work and I grabbed a hold of the door handle and I pulled it and it snapped right off in my hand. I just went one of these and then it just broke, you know, it broke and I'm sitting there holding the, the door handle and now I've got this fun thing going on where I have to enter my truck for the most part on the passenger side until we get that, until we get that fixed. Now, is it that kind of breaking that happens in Genesis chapter 3? In other words, yes, something broke, but so for example, in my truck, it's inconvenient, but the thing still runs. And for the most part, my truck obviously still does what it's designed and created to do. Now, suppose that I went to, to my truck and the engine was gone, right? Now, you can still push that thing, or if you're a certain generation understand this reference, you can Fred Flintstone that truck, right? If you get on a decline, you can get your speed up. And, but now the truck isn't really able to function as it was designed. So here's the question. When God says, where are you, Adam and Eve know something's wrong and something's broken, but I'm not sure they understand how deep the problem goes, and the door handle isn't broken, friends. The engine is gone because they're now alienated, isolated, separated from God. What makes life life is God. And now when he draws near, the presence they're fleeing from. So big picture, what the Bible tells us is, the biggest problem I have is now I seek to live apart from God. Now, the fall, Genesis 3, is not the door handle snapped moment. 
it's the engine is gone moment. And the answer, you, you notice that Adam and, and most children are like this too, right? When you ask them a question, they don't quite answer the question, right? Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid. And he says, and I hid. So what's wrong with me? What's most wrong with me is I now want to live without God. And here's the scope of the fall. I want to live as if I am God. That's what's wrong with me. So, so to, to break it down a little bit uh, on your outline, I desire wrong things. Sin exalts self before God. So here's, this, here's important. Before Adam and Eve did what God told them not to do, you, we just read the account. Something was going on on the inside before there was action on the outside, right? I mean, look at the words. It says, uh, uh, so, so when the woman, verse 6, saw that the tree was good for food, in other words, tree doesn't seem so bad. Why is God telling us not to eat it? And, and that it was a delight to the eyes. It doesn't look like it's bad. And that the tree, this is a heavy word, was to be desired to make one wise. See, all that happened before she took it, right? So, so I desire wrong things. Now, this is important because wouldn't you agree with me that we're told almost as gospel truth in our generation today that as long as I desire something, it must be good and right and true. In fact, that's what makes something good and right or true is if I desire it on the inside, right? And then therefore, nobody can tell me otherwise. Nobody can tell me that it's wrong. Nobody can tell me that it's not godly. That's kind of the guiding principle of 2022, it's the code that we live by. If I desire it, then that legitimizes doing it. But here's a question that God's Word is raising. What if your desires themselves are deceptive? What if your desires themselves lie to you? Now, that's, that's the lie that was said. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And can't you feel the tension? I mean, the, the account of the fall in the Bible is sort of the account of how you should live life in the present. Your eyes will be open. Notice what the temptation is. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Uh, the temptation is that you'll be equivalent to God. You'll, you'll stand on His level. And that's a powerful deception, isn't it? I think all of us can relate to how desirable that is. And then you talk about craftiness and subtleness. I mean, we, we just read the passage that the lies are, are pretty much that God's holding out on you. God's limiting you. God's holding you back. God's holding you down. Now, we're in Genesis 3. If we had the time and we read through Genesis 1 and 2, you'd see this pattern. God made it and called it good. God made it and called it good. So the temptation is you get to do that now. The deception for Eve here is that you can have that status as well. And then it says it's desired to make one wise. Now, look, uh, look in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. 
See this with me? Uh, Genesis 1, 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over the heavens and over the uh, birds of the heavens, and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over over the fish and over the birds and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here's the order. We're we tracking together. God created them. God blessed them. God commanded them. The disorder of the fall is that they do not obey him. Therefore, his blessing is removed. And now they live apart from how they were created. That is the human condition according to Scripture. Man, it's as powerful in its implications. I want you to see your attention, call your attention to the word that's used a couple of times there, and what we just read is the word dominion. I want you to see that God created them and blessed them and commanded them to have dominion over some things, but the fall is that Adam and Eve seek dominion over all things. And in fact, they seek dominion over who? They seek dominion over God himself. And that is something that God did not create them to do. And that is what the fall actually is. And now here's the real tragedy, friends. Here's human history. Now the fallen human beings from this point on up to this moment right now seek dominion over one another. That's the tension of your marriage. That's the tension in your family. That can be the tension even in the church. That's the tension among nations. That's the tension throughout all of history. Most all sin that you can point to is uh, got this fruit to it, that we want dominion in places we were not created and designed to have dominion in. You can understand, I'll just use marriage as an example. Hey, what happens in a marriage if the husband says, I have dominion in this marriage, and the wife says, no, I do? That doesn't work, does it? What happens in dominion? What happens in a church where... Some people say, well, we have dominion around here. In other words, what what is dominion? I run this, right? I'm in charge. And that's what the fall is. The disorder of the world is I desire dominion where I do not have it, even if I pretend that I do. I want dominion over God. Humans want dominion over other other humans. So I, I desire wrong things exalting myself above God, and then I do wrong things. It's going to be important later. The desire comes before the doing. So here's a little hint about the whole gospel. If God's going to transform you, it's not just about what you do. It has to be about what you desire, and it has to be about what you most love. So I do wrong things. Sin isolates me from God and others. We see this happens immediately, don't we? It's not gradual, man. It's immediate. Adam and Eve, they hide from God. God's no longer who they walk with. God is now who they hide from. I want to give an illustration. Hopefully this will be helpful. So we're going to let this. Can you see that? All right. I just made everybody nervous, especially Julie. This is going to represent you. And specifically, this is going to represent your heart, right? God designed you in a way that you'd be filled up with him. His goodness, his, his mercy, His holiness. So, so this, is, this is representing you. 
But what happens in the fall is, I'm not going to do this, but just hang with me, is that this thing gets broken, smashed, your, your heart. And, and now it doesn't fill up, now it's fractured. When the Bible says they were both naked and unashamed, what that means is Eve could look right into the heart of Adam and he said, that's my man. And Adam could look right into the heart of Eve. There was nothing that needed to be covered up. There was nothing that they were embarrassed about. There was nothing that they were ashamed about. There was nothing to say, I hope he doesn't find out about this. But then the fall happens, and here's their solution. I brought my old 80s sweatshirt back. They cover themselves, and here's the human condition. This is why we're so lonely and angry and isolated all the time. It's because we're convinced nobody can know the real me. Now I've covered up the real me. Is that working for them in the garden? They sewed fig leaves and covered themselves. Who told you? Who t- their impulse initially, and this is important, this is human condition, human nature. First impulse was to fix it themselves. We'll do something. This is where most all religion comes from, by the way. We'll do something to make this better. So, so now a- Adam and Eve were created by God to to have an intimate relationship with each other and with him, and now both of those things are gone. It happens fast, right? When God calls Adam to an account, what does he say? It's somebody else's fault. You want to talk about the human condition? Their eyes are open. They see now their nakedness, and they're ashamed about it, and they cover up. Is this a remedy? No, because actually on the inside, in your heart, in sin, broken and you're empty. We're going to talk about some things we all we try to do, but, but then one other point under this that God has to show me what's wrong with me is now I influence others to desire and do wrong things. Sin leads me to hide from God and blame others. So, so Adam goes from praising God and loving his wife in Genesis 2 to isolated from God and blaming his wife in Genesis 3. So human condition, Covered up on the outside and empty on the inside, right? So, what are we going to do now? Now, for this illustration to make sense, I'm actually going to have to take this off, but you have to keep in mind that the sin condition is we're still covered up, right? I'm going to drop everything. It'll be all right. So, just hang with me. You've got to still think of it covered up, but you can't see it if it is covered up, right? That's the, that's the problem with covering things up. So now what are we going to do? This is important. The fall did not alter your desire to be filled. It just isolates you from the one thing that can fill you up. So what we do now is we look for substitute satisfiers. The Bible calls them idols. That's what uh, it means to something that God, God designed us to be filled up by his, a relationship with Him. But now that we're isolated from Him in sin, we look to other things to do what only God can do. And you know all the common substitutes, don't you? What are they? You know them. Money. Buying stuff. Vacations, possessions, or status. I achieve something, a recognition, climbing to the top, winning the trophy. Or simply entertainment. I'm going to fill my life up with movies and video games and Wordle and Netflix or family or work or sex or relationships or marriage or a combination of all of them. Now again, you're tracking with me. I didn't break this. It's still solid. 
but you have to pretend now that it's fractured. And here's what substitutes do. Just a little drip. Just a little drip in there. And just for a moment, a little bit of satisfaction, but it either leaks out or so little that it just evaporates pretty quickly. Do you know what I'm saying? It's better than nothing, but it doesn't fill. It doesn't satisfy. Little drops, little drops of money, little drops of family, little drops of work, little drops of entertainment. So now what do we do? Here are our options, friends. Here they are. Just keep squeezing the eyedropper, right? Just a little drip, little drip, little drip, little Keep going back for more, keep going back for more. Or here's a real common one. You know what a lot of people do? They just say, I'm done. I'm closed off. I recognize nothing's satisfying, so I just conclude there's no point to any of it, right? That's what some people do. Isolated, alone, closed off. This is actually more common than we think. And some people think, again, talk about something I'm not going to do. They just say, I'm done, and they crush it, my own life, destroy it. Become so fed up with the emptiness of life that you decide that life doesn't matter anymore. That's what God is asking when he says, where are you? Where are you? Which one of those are you doing? Are, are you just going to go back to, as the prophet Jeremiah says, you keep building cisterns for yourself, cisterns that can hold no water? You're going to keep going back to things that don't last and things that don't matter to fill, to fill you up? Or are you closed off and withdrawn? Where are you? Now, those are our options, right? But there is another option. It's what God can do in the midst of this dynamic that we're talking about. Now, the other option does not come from us. It comes to us from God. God didn't make this mess, but God's willing to fix it. So that brings us to our second point. Only God can fix what's wrong with me. If you want to be finding already in your Bibles two passages we'll look at in just a moment. One's in Colossians chapter 2, and the other was going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. These are just wonderful descriptions of what God has done in response to our status as sinners isolated from Him. So, we're tracking together. Our origin story is that uh, we wanted to be God in place of God. So, in response to sinful people seeking to live as if they are the holy God, the holy God becomes a person and willingly pays for our sin. So, another way of saying it, in the garden, Adam and Eve seek the place of God at the cross. God come in the person of Jesus takes the place of sinners. So, on your outline, at the cross, Jesus paid my debt. The good news will only be good news to you as so far as you understand. It's not a broken door handle, not a quick fix. It's a devastating rebellion. And so I am reconciled to God through Christ when I repent and believe in Jesus. So the cross is an amazing act of grace. And the more we understand it, 
the more amazing it gets. So that's why I asked you to turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. You who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How does He do that? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, disarmed the rulers and authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him in Jesus. And then let's go on and read 2 Corinthians together, chapter 5, verses 16 through 19. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. For now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. In other words, we just look on the outward appearance, on how someone's covered up, what they look like. But therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is an improvement of his old self. Not what it says, amen? He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ... God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You know who Jesus is? Jesus is the heart of God for anybody to see. Why is he saying this? Come and see. We've been reading in John 1. Just come and see. Come and see what I'm really like. Come and see all you've been lied to from the get-go about who I really am. Come and see. And and if you want to know the heart of God most clearly, you see it displayed by Jesus at Calvary on the cross. This This is who I am. I'm reconciling you to myself. Not covered up, fully on display, and always the heart of Jesus is full of holiness. You know, the reason... uh, that we can see readily that Jesus is unlike anybody else is he's never looking for little eye drops, people's approval to fill him up. He's already full up, filled up. He's God. So Jesus becomes a curse in your place to bless you. You remember? uh, You're a new creation. We just read that. God created them. God blessed them. God commanded them. In other words, God is not waiting for you to obey him so that he will bless you. He creates you anew, blesses you in Christ, and then calls and gives you His Spirit so that you can begin to obey. You know, I'm trying to choose my words carefully on the basis of Scripture. When I say Jesus paid my debt, I'm reconciled to God through Christ when I repent and believe. And, And maybe a great way for you to understand what repentance is, is it's the opposite of what Adam is doing in the garden when God calls him to account. In the garden, we find God fleeing. I'm sorry, we find Adam fleeing from God and blaming Eve. Repentance is, I stop blaming other people for the condition of my heart, and I turn to God for help. And friends, on account of the Scripture, nobody who's ever turned to God for help in humility has been forsaken by God. To repent means I stop covering up. I understand who I am, that I'm responsible for what I've done, 
that I cannot fix myself. And I'm turning to Jesus in faith that he'll now cover me. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Repented and turned to Jesus in faith. Where are you? Those that repent, their response to the question, where are you, is I am in need of God to help me. So, next, Jesus begins to make my desires holy, and therefore I honor God in what I do. So this is important. Uh, We started just saying that the condition that we're in is uh, God created us with capacity to know and love him. That's the only thing that can fill us up. But they wanted to be God instead of God, and therefore they fractured themselves, and, and nothing fills up anymore, even though we keep turning to things and whatnot. Now, here's the danger. You remember, he's more subtle, more crafty, more deceitful. The more precious something is, the more likely it will be counterfeited. So here's where it gets tricky, Right? When, um, when Adam, you can just read Genesis. We, we don't have to refer to anything else. When, when Adam and Eve taste the fruit, think of all that gets unleashed in the world from that. Their own son is going to kill their other son. Violence, jealousy, envy, murder, all manner of abuse. Again, as we, you know, what Cain really wanted, he's wanted dominion over Abel. Wanted dominion over God. That's where his anger comes from. So I think the enemy is willing to concede to some people this point. We're in trouble. And we need to stop doing all of these things. Stop getting angry. Stop murdering. But if you're not careful, here's, what, here's how it happens. Going old school from my college days. Got my servant's apron on. And some people think that this is the gospel. That you're right, I shouldn't be covered up by these bad actions. So I'm going to do my very best to stop doing those things. And instead, I'm going to try to do the right thing. Here's a false gospel. This is, um, by the way, I'm pretty convinced. This is why a lot of people say, church, God, because this is their understanding, is that Jesus is saying, you do bad things, now stop it. And now, I just trade in that covering for the covering of works, legalism. Here's what I think a lot of people understand about the gospel. And it's correct to reject this, by the way is that now God's telling me just to stop the bad behavior and do the good behaviors. But on the inside, what I still actually desire to do is be God. I mean, you know who the Pharisees were? That's who they are. They still set themselves up as God. Dominion should listen to me. Now, here's what I'm... Here's what I'm getting at. That's not what God wants for you. 
It makes sense, though. In fact, that was the prodigal's plan. I just want to go back and work for my dad, you know, after he came in the, in the famine. Let's go back to Genesis 3, because I want you to know and trust the whole gospel that as deep as the problem goes, the remedy of God's grace goes deeper still. So, so before, again, Adam and Eve taste the forbidden fruit and everything painful and harmful in the world is unleashed from their tasting the fruit, there was something going on on the inside. In other words, when the woman, verse 6, saw the tree was good for food and saw that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. Friends, please hear me. God's grace is not to take you back to that point when you're desiring to do wrong and just telling you, don't do it. God's grace is taking you all the way back, transforming your heart at the level of your desires. When she saw the fruit, what was Jesus' invitation? Come and see. Come and see that there's something better than that. That was already true in the garden, wasn't it? I mean, all the trees that Adam and Eve could have eaten from. Just this one not to, but isn't this human nature, right? We want the one that we have, and that sort of blinds us to all that we could, right? In, in other words, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is not behavior modification for Jesus to forgive us only of sinful actions while then offering us no help and healing for our sinful desires. That would just be a trap. That wouldn't be heaven. That, that would be miserable, wouldn't it? But, but I'm convinced that that's what the subtle enemy has convinced so many people of. And that's what I mean by believing and trusting the whole gospel. Because it's already happened, honestly. And all the more as the days continue on this Appalachian Trail life we've got. If this, if this is you, if this is your heart, it's just a matter of time. Do you say, what? I'm kind of done with all this. If this is what following Jesus is, <laughs> it's just to, to, to stop doing stuff. And of course, you drift from him. But you're not really drifting from him. I tried to choose my words carefully. Jesus begins to make my desires holy, and therefore I honor God in what I do. If what I actually prefer and want and have an appetite to do are, are not the things of God, then I've been deceived about what salvation really is. Because God promised that I'm going to give them a new heart, right? Isn't that what His promise is? I'm going to give you a new heart, and He's going to heal you, bind up our wounds, right? Transform us. The, the only thing that ultimately transforms our heart 
is knowing the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. The love of God transforms our hearts from wanting to be God to hearts that are hungering for God. Does that make sense? So the message of the gospel is not behavior modification. It's heart transformation. So we'll close with the question that God asked. Where are you? Where are you? Theologically speaking, particularly in the book of Romans, we're told that there's two possible answers to that question. Where are you? And the way the Bible would explain it is that you are either in Adam, right? You're on Adam's team, sinful Adam. In Adam, I'm looking to be God in the place of God. I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. I'm hiding from God. I'm exalting self. I'm isolated from God and others. I'm spending my whole life trying to fill up on little things and covered up by uh, nobody really knows the real me. My whole life is about looking outwardly impressive or trying to while inside I'm just so very empty. That's what it means to be in Adam. I'm filling my life up with things that don't satisfy. I'm alone, I'm lost, and I'm heading for eternity separated from God. Where are you? Second possible answer is that I am in Christ. I am in Christ. I am forgiven. I am redeemed. I'm no longer bearing the penalty for my sin. Jesus has paid it all. And and now... God, who I once ran from, has come to take residence inside of me by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's a process, but it is happening. He's renewing my thoughts. He's renewing my desires. I'm looking for and longing for God. I'm born again. I am saved. I am reconciled. I'm heading to an eternity of dwelling with God. And I long for that because what I love more than anything is God. So stated as simply as can be. In Adam, what I exalt and love more than anything else is self. In Christ, what I love and exalt more than anything else is God. Where are you? Where are you? Here at the beginning, Adam and Eve are driven out and in conclusion of the garden. But in conclusion, I just want you to see from the get-go, God makes a promise. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. In other words, there's there's no peace here. God's God's saying, I'm I'm not going to let Satan have dominion, right? I'm I'm not uh, forsaking the world that I created and just said, hey, he pulled pulled a fast one, got away with it. No, there's going to be enmity here. That's the storyline of the rest of the Bible, right? And and between your offspring and her offspring, he's going to bruise your head, you're going to bruise his heel. That's the promise of first promise we have after the fall of the coming of Jesus. That's why the Bible says, fullness of time. Jesus born of a woman. Born under the law, born to redeem. Where are you? In Adam or in Christ?
stand together and we'll pray together.